morning. My name's Scott Carpenter. I'll be bringing the reading for you all tonight. And we are reading from Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 20. And I'll be reading from the NIV. It's Nehemiah 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Scott. Well, welcome again. Thank you for the opportunity to bring God's Word to you. It's always a privilege uh, to be able to do that. And uh, I have to be quite honest, the book of Nehemiah is actually a book that uh, has spoken quite a bit to me, and certainly in my personal quiet times, uh, my personal retreats and things like that. Um, I have been turned to Nehemiah several times. I'm assuming we have issues. We have issues? Just hold that thought. Okay, and um, I think as we move through this, uh, I hope you hear God's voice calling us to a greater commitment to him, and I hope that uh, we'll be able to provide you a little understanding of God's purpose in each and every one of our lives, his plans for you and his will, and how you can be found within his will and moving with him in that individually and uh, as a people of God as well. So let's just pause and pray, and I'll certainly be praying for the technology because you know I'm lost without my PowerPoints. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can gather here. We thank you for that again, Lord. It is just such a privilege to be able to be here uh, gathering to hear from you, Lord, and not have any fear that someone's going to come in and cause us grief. Lord, we just thank you that we can do that here. And Lord, now we pray that we will have our hearts, our minds, our ears open to what you have to say to us. I pray you'll reveal to us the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that we'll be willing to listen to you And the Lord will take your message into our heart and we'll apply it to our lives and we'll be changed as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thumbs up. Sweet. Here we go. Look at that. We could call Nehemiah a number of things uh, when we look at this chapter, uh, chapter 2. So I, I actually changed the heading several times, but I think responding to God is possibly pretty good with where we are as a people and the theme that we are looking at this year and how we need to go deeper ourselves in our relationship and then encourage others to go deeper with God as well. So I want this to be about responding to God. And as I've said, I love this book. It is just such an incredible book. And tonight, I, I just want to talk to you about Nehemiah and his story, but I'm going to get a bit carried away way. And and I just want to tell you now, there is absolutely no way we can cover what's in this chapter. And I know there's a few little quirky things people are going to be looking for me to talk about. I possibly won't because they're the things you do know. So I want to talk about the other things. So uh, let's get into it. So I think first and foremost, we need to ask, who is Nehemiah? And I know that Pastor Daryl covered quite a bit of this last week and did quite well with that as well. But there's a few things that I want you to keep in mind as we move through the book of Nehemiah. And I think the thing that we're told in chapter one about Nehemiah, Nehemiah is that he's a cupbearer to the king. 
That's one of the last things that's said. In fact, it is the last thing that is said in chapter 1. The Nehemiah is a cup bearer to the king. Now the cupbearer, all of us automatically think about the fact that he's the guy who tasted the wine for the king and everything like that. And that's absolutely true. In fact, what I learned when I looked at this was the fact that he used to just spill the wine on his hand and then lick it off his hand so that he'd be able to tell if there's no poison or that with the king. I didn't know that. Did anyone know that? Oh, yes, someone did. Sweet. There you go. So I thought he actually tasted from the cup, but I suppose that's too gross. But anyway, so he's a cupbearer to the king. But the thing is, he's not just a cupbearer. He's actually the king's right-hand man. And so he has all this privilege. He's living in this incredible place. Anyone who wants to see the king has to go through Nehemiah. If they want an appointment with the king, it's more than likely that they spoke to Nehemiah before they could actually get through there. So we have this guy, listen carefully, the right-hand man of the king. And in the story of Nehemiah, this guy who's got all this privilege, all this right, who is more or less treated like a son of the king, he's got so much right and privilege, and he leaves that and he journeys to this place where he could be persecuted, where he could be killed, where there is nothing on offer. He's going from riches to poverty. Sound like anyone? And he goes... To do the will of God, regardless of the cost. And the decision that Nehemiah takes for this journey is in obedience to God and his will. And the end goal that Nehemiah wants is to restore not just the walls of Jerusalem, he wants to restore the people. He wants to restore the nation Israel because that is the nation through which God's redemption plan is going to come. And the thing is, in the midst of all of this, Nehemiah knows God and his word. And when we think about the Bible, and in particular we can think about Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is one story in many. And so the Bible is made up of a number of different stories right throughout it, New and Old Testament. And the thing is, there is a common thread that runs through all of Scripture. And I know we, we, we seem to get in this bit of a mind trap, trap where we say, well, there was this one plan that God had and it failed. I don't know what sort of God you worship, but my God doesn't fail. And so when we look at Scripture, we have to have in mind that there's this one continuous theme and plan that goes all through Scripture, and that is God's redemption plan through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture is all about, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It is all about Jesus. That is the common theme. And it's about God and his way of bringing humanity back into relationship with him. All of Scripture covers that. And Jesus himself makes this abundantly clear and evident. Oh, Tom. G'day, mate. Tom's just back from Israel. How good was that? Awesome. Been to a few of these places, hey? Changes your mindset to it? Yeah. We'll talk. Talk to Tom. He's going to be so excited. He'd love to tell you about it, I'm sure. But Jesus himself makes this clearly evident. You think about him when he's on the road to Emmaus with those couple of disciples after he's risen from the dead. What does he do? Do you remember? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets for them all of the scriptures and the things concerning himself. 
So Moses, the first five books of scripture are considered to be the books of Moses. And Jesus himself goes to those books and he says to these people he's walking with, well, this is God's redemptive plan. It is all about the coming Messiah. It is all about, well, he doesn't actually say me at that stage, but that was really what he was saying. And so he knows the plan of redemption. Nehemiah knows the plan of God's redemption. And when he heard about Jerusalem and the condition that it was in and everything like that, he wasn't just sad because the city was in ruin. He knew or believed that there was much more at stake than just what was happening with the city. And he's interpreting all that is happening in light of the scriptures that he knew. He had those first five books. He knew what they said. And so when Nehemiah considers what is happening, when he looks at God's word and he considers where Jerusalem is, he understands that this is a disaster of unprecedented proportions. When the exiles returned... It seemed as though God's promises uh, were actually being carried out and these exiles would come back and God's people would be re-established, his nation would be begun. This is the story that's in Ezra. And yet it seems that God's plans have been stopped by evil men who had access to grind and a passion to see Jerusalem left in ruins. And from Nehemiah's perspective, if Jerusalem remains without secure walls to defend its people from predators, from raiders, from the nations that surround them, it would never be restored as a nation. If it's not rebuilt, their culture wouldn't be brought back. Their way of worship, their way of life, their heritage as a people of God founded upon the truth of him would be lost. And slowly but surely, these people who were set apart for God would intermarry with those nations around them and the nation of Israel would be no more. And so Nehemiah, in his heart of heart, believes if there's no nation of Israel, then there's no way the promised Messiah can come. Nehemiah's work is about preparing the way for the Messiah, rebuilding a nation, rebuilding a city, rebuilding a temple, rebuilding a priesthood, rebuilding a sacrificial system, a fully functioning holy nation where Jesus can grow up Jewish and become the true Israel, the final temple, the lasting high priest, and the ultimate final cleansing sacrifice. And I don't believe that Nehemiah understands how significant the role is he's going to play. But he knows he has to be faithful to God's word. He knows he has to be obedient. And throughout chapter 1, he has claimed what God's word has said. Did you notice that? He's just verbalizing God's word back to him. Lord, you said this. Lord, you said this. Lord, you said this. And he's claiming the promises of God for the nation Israel and for himself. And he repents. And he asked God to use him. And so within Nehemiah, there's this stirring. And Nehemiah's a bit like me. When he wants something to happen, he wants it to happen now. Like not in a week, not in a month, not in a year. Lord, let this happen and give me favor today. Remember that in Nehemiah 1.11. And give success to your servant today and grant me mercy in the sight of this man speaking about the king. And all through history, God has created some men and women to be people of action. That's the way he's made us. And praise God, he's also made some who are handbrakes. 
But Nehemiah is one of these guys who is a man of action. He wants to get out. He wants to do it. He wants to make it happen. But as much as he wants this stuff to happen, he doesn't go before God. He knows how bad that is. And so he waits upon God. And as we enter chapter 2, we find out that Nehemiah has been incredibly patient. He wanted to happen it on the day. But instead, he found himself praying. He found himself committing himself to God more and more. And I think we need to realize and learn that some of life's greatest frustrations, some of the most difficult things that happen for us, have a divine purpose and plan in growing us and training us and equipping us for what is to come ahead. And it's often in the most difficult of circumstances or when God calls us to wait that we grow the most. And so we have Nehemiah. And as Scott read out, in the month of Nisan, he has been on his knees praying for four months before God. The man who wanted it to happen today has had to wait four months. And so he prayed for God's favour and he's been waiting and just looking for God's hand when God's going to allow him to do what he does. But we need to realise too that this waiting time is not wasted time. Think about what happens with Nehemiah. Think about the fact that he was just going to rush into the presence of the king and demand what he wanted and everything like that. But instead, God says no, or God doesn't talk, and Nehemiah has to wait. And so in this waiting time, he's using it to continually to come before God. He's using it to know God's will more. He's using it to understand God. And no doubt, he's pouring over Scripture as well to hear what God is saying to him. And I believe it's these intimate times with God where Nehemiah learns the things that have to be done in Jerusalem, a place he has never visited. And he begins to think about what it is going to require for him to be able to rebuild the city the way it is, the way it needs to be. And it will also have given him some time and space to think about how best to present his request to King Artaxerxes. We also need to learn God's time's the right time. And for those of you who spent time with Elena and I at our house, you've possibly heard me say, I've been in so many situations where God seems to turn up almost too late. And that's key. Because I want God to do something now when I'm in difficulty or trouble or struggling. and It's like, God, come on, you've got to deal with this. I can't persevere. I can't press on. I can't do this. I need you to turn up now. And when he does finally turn up a week, a month, a year, whatever it is down the track, okay, you know what? That was almost too late. Almost too late. But it was the perfect time. It was exactly when it should have happened. And we have to learn that. And we have to be willing to wait upon God, just as Nehemiah did. And now, Nehemiah's time has come. He's waited his four months. He's prayed to God. And today is the day. And he's concealed his emotions before the king. And now he reveals that. I don't understand how that happened, why that happened, whether it was deliberate or suddenly he couldn't hold it in anymore, but the time was right. And you've heard me say this, and I think this is where Nehemiah was as well. He needed that 10 seconds of bravery. He needed to ask God to be with him, and he's prayed that for quite some time. And so Nehemiah comes before the king, and he is very much afraid. We read that. 
Because you see, someone who came into the king's presence, especially his cupbearer, is someone who's supposed to have a joyful countenance. They're supposed to lift the king's spirits if the, lift, if, if the king is feeling down. And indeed, to come into the king's presence with anything but a joyful countenance, that could result in you being cast out. It could result in you being imprisoned. It could even result in you being killed, put to death, because you're supposed to encourage the king. And so Nehemiah comes in and he's got this countenance, which is obviously sad. And he's in the presence of the king. And he knows now that everything is on the line. It's now or nothing. And he spent four months praying, confessing, praising, listening. And he comes in here with a plan in mind. A request worked out because of that four months. And he's also aware that the restoration of Jerusalem is not a new subject. It's been before this king before. And back in Ezra, there were letters being sent back and forth by high-speed camel. And there were accusations that Jerusalem was only being rebuilt so that they could separate from the reign of King Artaxerxes and therefore escape from paying taxes and other duties and things like that. So they were just thinking of themselves. And as a result of that, the king says, well, you know what? Let's just stop all work. We're not going to allow them to rebuild Jerusalem. And that was the last order. But Nehemiah is in the presence of the king and he responds. He starts off really smart. Let the king live forever. He shows respect. And the thing is, Nehemiah believes that he's doing this work for God. He believes that it's God who laid this burden on his heart to rebuild. He's got no idea what Jerusalem is like. He's never actually been there, but he knows that it can't remain the way that it is. And it's clearly evident all throughout Scripture that those who step out in faith for God, who are called to a work and a purpose, very rarely receive what they need before they have to show great faith. God wants us to believe. He wants us to trust in him, and he wants us to step out in faith. Do you believe that? I want you to think about Daniel in the lion's den. God acted once Daniel was put into the den. Could you imagine what that was like? These lions roaring because they're deliberately starved, so they'll tear whoever apart once they're put in there. And so Daniel's being lowered down in there and God's doing nothing. But it's when he's in the lion's den that God actually moves and acts. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yep, the fire just died before they were thrown in there, didn't they? It's not the way it happened. They were thrown into a fiery furnace and it's in the fiery furnace that God met them. Think about the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to the flooded Jordan and they come to this flooded river and they all know how dangerous it is and nothing happens until they walk into the water and then God banks up the water so that they can walk across on dry land. God needs us to step out in faith to do that which is not normal for us to do in order for him to act. And he still wants men and women to step out in faith today. And Nehemiah is looking into the face of the king who is wondering what is going on. He is his most trusted, most trusted servant with this down look on his face who's revealing his personal feelings. And he's never actually done that before. He's never shown them to the king. And as I said, Nehemiah expresses his loyalty. Let the king live forever. This is a pagan king, a king who does not worship God. And Nehemiah is submitting to him. And Nehemiah is serving this king as if he was serving God himself. He doesn't compromise his faith, though, in his walk with God. 
He serves the king and he serves God and he does both very, very well. And he's been praying for this moment for four months. And he's ready. He's trusting God. And it's in that trust, when we step out in faith, the courage comes. And he tells the king that he cannot hide his grief anymore. But what he says is personal. And what he says relates to the king very, very well. So he doesn't actually speak about the walls falling down in Jerusalem and everything like that. If you reread the chapter, Jerusalem's not mentioned, even though that is where he's going. But what he does, he speaks about his ancestors who were buried. How everything is laid waste and their graves could be desecrated. And this is something that Persians could not tolerate. They considered their ancestors um, to be sacred and their burial places to be sacred. And so what Nehemiah says strikes a chord with the king. And so he responds. What is it that you're requesting? What does Nehemiah do? Arrow prayer. I don't know what that arrow prayer was. Maybe it's, Lord, Lord, give me that 10 seconds of courage. Maybe it's like, Lord, this is the moment. Be with me. Maybe it's, Lord, don't let me forget anything. I need it all. Who knows? But he's got this little arrow prayer that he sends up to God. And so now it's time for Nehemiah to lay out all that he believes God's told him to. And you know what? It's a huge request. He didn't go small. He didn't ask to go back and do some reconnaissance and work out exactly what needs to happen. He went, you know what? If this is God, I'm going to go for the lot. I'm going to go straight out and ask for everything that I need. And if it's God, it's going to happen. And so Nehemiah, he went big. I mean, this is bigger than Ben-Hur as far as I'm concerned. It's massive. So Nehemiah demonstrates his confidence in God's plan and purpose in what he needs and what he actually asks the king for. He trusts that God will provide everything that is needed and he's trusting that that's going to come through this king. He's not going to go anywhere else. He hasn't asked anyone else. So he asks for time off. He asks for letters for safe passage. He asks for letters for materials from the king's forest and letters authorizing the work that they will undertake. And he has everything covered. And we're told that the king granted his request. Why? Because... The good hand of my God was upon me. He had no doubt God was going to give him what he asked for. And in a way, this king becomes his sponsor, the face of the restoration work that's going to happen in Jerusalem. And when we believe and trust in God, he makes a way where there is no way. He makes things happen which seem absolutely impossible. His plans and purposes will prevail regardless of who is ruling, regardless of who is in control, regardless of what is going on. And God will use whoever and whatever he wants for his purposes. No one can resist God. But opposition will come. When Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem, it's very interesting that this is quite an arduous journey and uh, it speaks about his journey in four words in the passage of Scripture, so it seems quite insignificant. But he gets to Jerusalem and the opposition doesn't take long to present itself, does it? And Nehemiah comes with the blessing of the ruling king and his support and he knows that he's serving God in obedience, but then both Sanballat and Tobiah oppose him. They're trying to assert their authority in opposition to the work that Nehemiah is doing. 
And Tobiah is an enemy of the Jews. And we'll see more of that in Nehemiah 6 when we get to that. And he had a number of connections with Nehemiah's co-workers in building the war. And Zambalat had the army. So Tobiah gathered the evidence, the, the uh, intelligence, sorry. And uh, he gets a lot of that uh, information from inside, from his Jewish friends. And he passes that on to Sanballat. And so as Nehemiah arrives, his enemies are outside Jerusalem. And then as time progresses, he finds they're not just outside, they're also inside. There's enemies within the walls of Jerusalem. And these men have been great discouragers before, and they will be again. And when Nehemiah comes and sees the state that Jerusalem is in, he could have fallen to pieces. He could have said the task was too much. He isn't a qualified builder. He hasn't done this type of work before. He could have said, this is just far too big for me. There's no way that it could possibly be achieved. And he could have rightly just turned around and walked away and said, someone else is going to have to do it. But instead, he assesses, he decides on a plan, and then I love what he does. He does this. Have you ever heard that before? Nehemiah gathers the people for the first time, and he requests that they come together to rebuild the wall. Why are they rebuilding the wall? Well, the passage that Scott read out said that they will no longer suffer disgrace. That's why they're building the wall. Um, the ESV says they will no longer suffer derision. And that word means that they'll no longer be ridiculed. They'll no longer be the butt of jokes. They'll no longer be laughed at. People will no longer think that they're stupid. When we look at scripture, how is Israel described? How's Jerusalem described? It's the city of the great king. It's the joy of the whole earth. Can you think about what it looked like for Nehemiah as he rode around those destroyed walls? And in one section, he actually has to dismount. He can't ride his horse through the debris that is laid out from the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah doesn't want Jerusalem laughed at anymore. He wants God to be honoured because of who Jerusalem is. He wants people to look upon Jerusalem and see in that God rules them, God loves them, God has restored them. And so he needs to rally the troops and he needs to encourage them. So he tells good news stories. And he tells them all about the hand of my God and what he has done. Think about that story. Think about how he's telling them about the king he has just come from, the same king who halted the work before. And now this king is saying, I've given you everything that you need in order to rebuild the temple. Is that an amazing story? Would that encourage you? Would that lift you up when suddenly this guy who stopped the kingdom, the, the, the um, city from being rebuilt is suddenly giving you everything you need to make that possible? I think it would spur me on. I think it would really encourage me. And so... 
This starts to happen and the people are excited. And guess what happens then? The troublemakers return. Satan's never going to let us have any time where we can actually do something and enjoy the presence of the Lord for any prolonged period. There is always going to be troublemakers. They're going to come from without. They're going to come from within. That's exactly what happens with Nehemiah. And they try to bring doubt to the people. They try to create division. They try to instill fear. But Nehemiah will have no part of it. He won't allow them to continue to speak the way they are. And he won't let those comments deter him from the purpose and task that God has given him. What does he say? He says, the God of heaven, the God of heaven will make us prosper. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how hard you come against us. The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and we will rebuild. But you, because of your attitude, because of your actions, because of what you're doing, you have no part in this. You have no right to even be here. That's a man who's bold. That's a man who speaks for God. Thinking of the story of Nehemiah, I am wrapping up, sorry. I want to ask you tonight, how well do you know God's word? Because at the foundation of all that happened for Nehemiah was the fact that he knew God and he knew God through studying the scriptures. He knew God through spending time in prayer with him. And when we think about the plan that is contained in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament alike, it is that redemptive plan that is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and how we come to faith as a result of him. The plan is not any different. It hasn't changed. But God's plan of redemption and the role that that requires is for each and every one of us. Do you believe that? If you don't, you need to go and read Matthew. Get to the end. There's this thing called the Great Commission where we are called to make disciples of all nations and we are called to baptize them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to teach them. Teach them to do what? To obey all that Jesus has commanded. All that Jesus has commanded. And you don't have to do it on your own. Because just as Nehemiah had God with him when he spoke to the king, God is never going to leave you and he's never going to forsake you. He is going to give you the task and he's going to equip and encourage and strengthen you for the task that he's given you. And that's a task for each and every one of us. And with that knowledge, the knowledge that God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us, are you willing to move? Are you willing to do what God calls us to do? And when you think about your friends, when you think about those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you think about those in the community around us, are you moved to tears? Because that is what Nehemiah was. He was found on his knees before God. He couldn't see how people would come to faith if Jerusalem was destroyed. And so we as a people need to say, you know what, we're going to arise above our differences. We're going to rise above the rubbish that is happening. And we're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost in this place. And we're going to be seen as a people who dearly love him. And we're going to be seen as a people who love each other. And when we do that, when people see that, they will be transformed. And we get a taste of that every year. We get a taste of that through our kids club. We get a taste of that through our kids church. We get a taste of that through youth at times. We get a taste of that when people come in the door and they speak about the love that occurs here. But we can have so much more if we'd only get serious about our relationships with each other. Do you desire God's plan and purpose in this place?
Do you desire that people are redeemed and brought into a loving, knowing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, what the hell are you here for? Seriously. Yeah, okay, write emails, I don't care. We have to get serious about our faith. If you don't, we're just playing games. Think about Nehemiah as he rode around the wall in Jerusalem. He strategically looked at the wall. Where is this weak? Where can people come in and hurt us? I don't want you to look around the room. I want you to look at yourself. And I want you to ask, Lord, where am I weak? Where do I need to be strengthened? Where do I need to be built up? What do I need to be doing so I can stand for you? We have made a commitment this year to build you up as a people of God, to disciple and mentor if that's what's required. And so when you identify those things, please, please come and talk to us. We want to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. We don't want you to be vulnerable. We want you to know how to stand and serve our God and to stand firmly upon the truth of his word. What is God calling you to do? I know sometimes God calls us to do incredible things and it seems way too big. Did Nehemiah pray big? Yeah. If it's something you can achieve, guess what? God's not in it. God's a big God. He does incredible things. He's done powerful things in my life. He can do it in your life. What is God calling you to? And if he's calling you to that, pray into it. Ask him to show you how to step into that in faith. Pray for that 10 seconds of courage to do what God would have you to do and step out. And you know what's going to happen? If you're wrong, if that's not God, it's going to be a bit like Peter getting out of the boat. And you're going to try and walk on the water. And if it's not God, guess what? You're going to sink. But Jesus will not let you drown. He will come. He'll lift you up. He'll walk back to the boat with you on the water. And he's going to say, why? That wasn't me. Learn from me. Hear my voice. He will never punish you for stepping out in faith, even if you're wrong. He will stop it, but he won't punish you. Finally, will you do it? Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, you're a big God. You are way beyond our comprehension. You are more than we could ever hope or dream of. And Lord, I don't know. Help me, Lord, help us to be that people who are so sold out for you, who are willing to do what you've called us to do. As Nehemiah did, Lord, it was a mammoth task, but he knew your plan of redemption. He knew what you wanted to do. And Lord, your plan of redemption now is for us to be telling others about you. And Lord, that scares the living daylights out of so many of us. But Lord, I pray you'll change our heart. I'll pray that we'll be able to acknowledge and realize that with you, all things are possible. 
And Lord, for those of us who falter when we speak, you can empower that speech. You can let us be the mouthpiece that you so desire us to be. But we've got to take that first step. We've got to be willing to step out in faith for you. We've got to be willing to acknowledge it's not us anyway. It's you and you can do anything. So Lord, I'm praying the same prayer I pray every week. Meet each and every one of us at that point of need. And Lord, if we need to do business with you, Help us get serious about that and help us come forward for prayer to be encouraged, built up and strengthened in our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shit.